It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. President Trump may not know a lot about the framers but they certainly knew a lot about him. Given the framers' intense focus on danger to elections and the peaceful transfer of power, it is inconceivable that they designed impeachment to be a dead letter in the president's final days in office. Jamie Raskin, the head of the uh, prosecutors from the House side, leading the charge in the Senate yesterday in the uh, hearing to determine whether or not it's constitutional to impeach a president after he's left office. Uh, most people would say, well, duh, since the penalty is removal from office, this is a little silly. But in this climate, you can't say it's a little silly. You have to play the game. No, you don't have to. I read you this great statement from a, an older a constitutional attorney professor yesterday who said this is just shameful, that they're even sitting at the table, meaning reasonable, honest senators are even sitting there. What are they doing? It's shameful for them to participate in this and yet participate. They did. I want to give you a taste of it. We're not going to dwell on it today because why would we? They're crazy out of their minds. They have, they're off the rails. The Democrats are definitely off the rails and many of the Republicans are as well. And uh, our hope uh, for the future does not lie in them. It just doesn't. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about their craziness and then move on. This is Nora O'Donnell from CBS setting up the story the way only CBS can set up the story. Let's listen. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with breaking news. Former President Trump will stand trial in the Senate for a second time tomorrow. Tonight, six Republicans joined with Democrats voting 56 to 44 that the impeachment trial is constitutional and can move forward, even though Mr. Trump is no longer in office. Now, the vote comes after a day of impassioned arguments and disturbing videos outlining the January 6th attack on the Capitol. As emotional House managers argued, Mr. Trump had to be held accountable for inciting an insurrection. For his part, sources tell CBS News tonight that the former president is angry at the performance of his defense lawyers, which even one Republican senator tonight called disorganized. And this all sets us up for the stage of we're in a historic and unprecedented hearing with senators sitting as jurors in the very chamber where they were victims just one month ago. We have a lot of new reporting for you tonight on the impeachment trial and the other major headlines of the day. And our team is standing by. All right. The team was standing by and then they did a long report on what happened. I watched uh, as much as I could stand of the trial. Yeah, or, well, I guess it was still a trial. It was the opening arguments about whether indeed it is constitutional of course, the president, we know, uh, didn't say anything like what they are claiming. They showed a 13-minute video, which they edited masterfully. They actually hired a media company, a professional media company, to prepare their video. And I don't know if any of you have ever done uh, videos. Some of you, you know, have these little handy um, video editors 
on your phone. So you know more about this now than maybe at one time you did. And that is that you can make anyone look really great or look really horrible. And so the 13 minutes, of course, was used to make Donald Trump look the worst possible. And the protesters inside the Capitol, uh, the worst possible, you know, and also uh, obviously without question claiming that they're all Trump supporters uh, doing these horrible things. Uh, They did not play President Trump's remarks where he called to the people at the rally, which was, you know, it's free speech. Uh, I think, isn't it free speech for you to go and support a president? Uh, If you believe election has been uh, stolen or you believe that it needs to be investigated, at least look at the evidence. That's what they were trying to get the Senate to do. Oh, but no, 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 no. We can't even talk or look look at that evidence. Can't even do that because... Well, you see, we live in D.C., and uh, with the vortex of D.C., uh, even conservatives, I think, have fallen, some of them in D.C., to the notion that there was nothing to see in election fraud. Well, uh, one has only to watch that. Of course, we tracked it very carefully, so this is not the only source, but Mike Lindell's uh, movie that we played that uh, he premiered last Friday uh, is uh, just powerful, and it will, you know, lay out at least on the machines. Mostly it concentrates on the machines, but that's new information for most people. We have every reason to believe that there were serious, horrible mishandlings of ballots and also machines on Election Day. And our common sense tells us that something was rotten in Denmark, but we're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to put that on Facebook. You're not allowed to put it on Twitter. No, 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 you don't dare. And certainly in D.C., If you're a respectable person, conservative or liberal, you have to decry and denounce. Yeah, it works that way. President Trump on that day uh, said very unequivocally, and I was watching the whole thing, he said, "Uh, go to the Capitol, but peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. That's what he said, but they left that part out of the video. Isn't that surprising that they would do that? Uh, So I could read to you more of what the president said, but I... Uh, I just would tell you, in fact, there's a great article by Breitbart uh, that you can read if you want to review what he said. It's Dems play Trump's remark at impeachment trial, but leave out call to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Um, So it was edited. And then the uh, House managers did what Democrats always do. They're great at this. They are great. We call it political theater. It isn't reality, but it is theater. So Jamie Raskin uh, lost a son right before uh, January 6th. His son committed suicide. You know, I have to say, I don't know why his son committed suicide, but it did make me wonder. You know, I've been talking to you about the st- suicide statistics among young people uh, during this COVID shutdown and all that's happening in the in the world. Uh, the increase in suicide around the globe uh, is is very high. It's not just a single digit. It's multiple digits. It's frightening. So Jamie Haskins, uh, Jamie, yeah, Jamie Haskins, um, sorry, did I get that right? Jamie Raskin, uh, his son committed suicide just a couple of days before. Well, that's, that's devastating, you know? That would be devastating for any of us. But what's interesting to me is that the Democrats, and there are multiple examples of this, love to package their tragedies and use them politically. I've never understood that. Having having lost a child myself, I just don't understand why you would use something so sacred, and it is sacred, the love of you have for your child and 
the grief that you go through, but they evidently think that this is somehow a noble thing uh, to use the death uh, of their child and the grief as, as a political tool. I remember they, uh, the funeral of Paul Wellstone, this is the first time it really came to me. This is many years ago. He was killed in a plane crash. Uh, the uh, funeral was in Minnesota, and it became a political rally. There was no talk of eternity or death or what it all meant. It was all, um, you know, uh, signs. They even held signs up. And when President uh, Bush, who came in to pay respects to someone who'd been his opponent, they, they booed him. So then we have Joe Biden, who's the king, the star, the, the expert, the over-the-top uh, over uh, expert at using the tragedy of the loss of his wife uh, in an accident to further his political career. And now we know that actually what happened was that he was having an affair with his wife, Jill, now, uh, because her husband has spoken out about it now, while he's claiming that she she came when he was a widow with these two sons, wid- and a widower with two sons, and she came to his rescue and raised the boys, when that's not really what happened. But he's masterfully, him his son, he lost his son. They do this all the time. So Jamie Raskin... Uh, just a sh- you know, it hasn't been that long since his son committed suicide. It still must be very painful. Uh, but on the House floor, he tells the whole story and makes January sixth very personal. The, the suicide of his son, basically, what he's saying, you know, was President Trump's. Well, what happened to his family after that is Trump's fault. I'll let you hear just a little bit of it. It was very, it was theater to the max. I didn't see tears, but I saw, you know, like crying, quote unquote. This is Jamie Raskin, clip nine. I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. (laughs) Of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, And since then, that one hit me the hardest. He's talking about his daughter and her husband. They were in an office. They'd gone with him that day, and they were hiding under a desk. And he said on the House floor or the Senate floor uh, that they were thinking they were going to die. And they were, you know, people were sending messages, you know, their, you know, their last statements to people. It, it's amazing. It was very theatrical. It was very effective, uh, <laughs> you know, depending on your frame, your point of view. If you are persuaded by uh, uh, false tears and fake theater, I don't doubt he has genuine tears. That that wasn't about his son's death. It was about his daughter under the desk saying she'd never come back to the Capitol. That's why he's crying. Not not his son's death, but the, the, the statement. It's, it's just bizarre to me. It's bizarre to me. So then President Trump's attorney stood up, and they did a very poor job. They did a very poor job. Uh, the, uh, the, the gentleman that started first, and I didn't even write his name down. I had, but I don't know where it went. Um, David Chun is one of them. He was the second one. He did a much better job. He's an Orthodox Jew, is very, you know, very observant Jew, and he actually made uh, the best case of the two of them. This is clip ten. Let's at least listen to a bit of it. Many Americans see this process for exactly what it is: a chance by a group of partisan politicians seeking to eliminate Donald Trump from the American political scene and seeking to disenfranchise. 74 million plus American voters. All right, so uh, this is what's happened. If I could give it in a capsule. The attorneys, all attorneys, since President Trump has left office, 
there was a massive wave of threats against any attorneys who aligned themselves with President Trump. I think it started before, you know, he left office. It certainly started. It was icky. It's like, you don't want to do that. There's no future for you if you do that. And worse, threats. Uh, and Alan Dershowitz actually was on television last night talking about how a letter went out from all of these illegal professors threatening any attorney who would represent President Trump at this trial and use a First Amendment defense that he it was political speech and he had the right to say what he said. And anyone has a right to say anything short of, you know, uh, cry, crying fire in a, a theater. So attorneys are have been fleeing like you know, like uh, people off a sinking ship now for several months. And in the last days before this impeachment, you probably recall that President Trump's team left, and at the last minute he had to re- appoint some new people. Well, this, this is all orchestrated, not by President Trump. This is all part of the way. They're desperate to have him never run again. That's the, the outcome they're hoping from this, since they don't think they can impeach. Uh, but they also, this whole thing is a setup. It is. What else is new? So don't be discouraged. The political war is over. They won. I'm just telling you. Uh, they won. They run this country now. And it's uh, when President Trump said, uh, if you don't fight like blank, you're going to lose your country. Well, that's true. And we are losing our country. I'm not saying you can't fight in other ways, but it's not going to happen uh, in on Capitol Hill. Just isn't. I'll tell you why. Because uh, six Republicans, of course, joined the Democrats, to vote that this impeachment sham is constitutional. It is because they say it is. John Roberts wouldn't come over because he knew it wasn't constitutional. God bless him for that. Uh, But uh, now the senators, who I'm sure are all constitutional experts, uh, Cassidy, Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass, and Toomey, and all of the uh, Democratic senators, they declared it's constitutional, so it must be. By the way, in Louisiana... Uh, the GOP issued a real stinging rebuke of Bill Cassidy. It was a pretty powerful statement. Let me read a little bit of it. Uh, Republican Party of Louisiana is profoundly disappointed uh, on, in Cassidy. We feel that an impeachment trial of private citizen is not only unconstitutional, but also an attack on the very foundation of American democracy. Uh, they, we remind all Americans President Trump is innocent of the politically motivated bogus charges now pending in a kangaroo court. All right, so there it is. Stay tuned. Really good stuff coming up. Sandy Rios. What would it be like if every person knew that they were created in the image of God? After two years in the making, American Family Studios proudly presents In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. There are only two sexes, male or female. If you're conceived with a Y chromosome, you will develop into a male. In His Image is a documentary featuring life-changing testimonies of former LGBT individuals. In my most formative years of development of sexuality, I went through a brutal time of uh, sexual distortion, molestation. Visit InHisImage.movie to watch In His Image. Well, everybody, welcome to this unboxing video as we unbox my hormone blockers. In His Image from American Family Studios is available now for free viewing. Visit InHisImage.movie. You're made in the image of God. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or more importantly, if you sign up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. 
It's called MediShare, and MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program. It's been around for 25 years. They have more than 400,000 members now around the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2 billion of each other's medical bills, so they could help share your needs too. And best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is around 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Liberty University is more than just exceptional academic programs, NCAA athletics, and state-of-the-art facilities. They believe in training champions for Christ. They know that where academic excellence and unwavering faith meet, there is liberty. Explore their campus virtually and learn how you can train as a champion for Christ online or on campus by texting TODD to the number 49596. That's TODD to the number 49596. Tampa Bay football fans are facing heat from Democrats and CNN over their Super Bowl celebration. Thousands of fans took to the streets celebrating the Buccaneers' Super Bowl win, and most were not wearing face coverings. Neither was Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady. Well, that was a huge problem for CNN. Reporter Randy Kay was in near hysterics as she shamed football fans. She called police, demanded to know why they were not enforcing mask ordinances. Tampa Bay Mayor Jane Castor was especially upset and promised to punish anyone who violated the policies. She said police were actively trying to identify revelers who were breaking the law. Well, the police might want to start at City Hall. Turns out Mayor Castor was at the Super Bowl without a face mask. Or maybe the mayor could just make it easier and turn herself into authorities. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. A couple of things I wanted to share with you in regard to yesterday's proceedings. Uh, I want to read just the rest of that statement that Louisiana sent in their um, big the Republican Party in Louisiana who are so upset with Bill Cassidy for joining the other, you know, usual suspects, uh, Republicans, and declaring that this process, this kangaroo process, is constitutional. They said, we also remind all Americans that former President Trump is innocent of the politically motivated bogus charges now pending against him in a kangaroo court presided over by an openly hostile political opponent. How far justice has fallen in the short time that Democrats have been in control of the federal government. And that's what they had to say about their own senator, very upset with him. And the two attorneys that defended President Trump were Bruce Castor and David Schoen. And I already told you that it wasn't a great, very strong performance, certainly by Bruce Castor. David Schoen did a better job. They'll have more chances today. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. I am... Uh, the point has to be made that in spite of all I just told you, they decided that they would, in spite of the dangers to them uh, professionally uh, in their career, they both stepped up and were defending the president. However poorly they did it or may have done it uh, on yesterday's 
performance. They did it. And so I want to I wanna hats off to them. I want to also tell you one quick thing before we introduce our next guest, because this is going to be fascinating. Um, this, according to Politico's playbook, and what they do is they, they operate on various leaks, and they have kind of a, every, a daily kind of just like a gossipy thing about what's happening in Washington. And so this is what they say. According to Bloomberg, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is signaling to fellow Republicans that the final vote on Donald Trump's impeachment is a matter of conscience and that senators who disputed the constitutionality of the trial could still vote to convict the former president. So what that means is he is not saying or pressuring, which is the role of the leader, to get his people in line. He's saying, go ahead, if you feel like voting for it. And they're also adding that uh, Trump, uh, uh, McConnell is actually entertaining the notion of voting for Trump's impeachment, too. <laughs> so that's according to Politico. And uh, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's just that we, have, we really have moved into theater, much like the old communist regimes were laughable from a distance. It wasn't so fun to live under them. My next guest knows a lot about that. Mike Waller is, um, let me give you a good, a good introduction of Mike. Mike is a good friend of mine, but that's not his claim to fame here. He is the Senior Analyst for Strategy at the Center for Security Policy. Uh, his area of concentration is propaganda, political warfare, psychological warfare, and subversion. He's a former professor at the Institute of World Politics. He's a former instructor with the Naval Postgraduate School. He's an instructor, a lecturer at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center uh, and School at Fort Bragg. So I just wanted you to know his qualifications. And he joins us this morning. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Sandy. You know what, Mike, I want to start, do talk this way, if that's all right with you. You wrote this really incredible article. You were there on January 6th, and you wrote this uh, expose, really, of what you saw there before any news, before anyone was saying anything. And, of course, a lot has been said since then. And so could we first just talk about what it is that you saw without input from other sources, what your observations were on that day? First of all, like what, what, what in the world made you go? You, you live in downtown D.C., you, you know how dangerous it is. Why did you go? Well, I live on Capitol Hill, and we, uh, we almost didn't go uh, because it's just one more big thing in D.C. And decided, you know, this is, this is the last big event for, for President Trump. There's going to be a lot of real Americans there. Let's just go and just get a good shot in the arm and get jazzed up just to, just to see real people again. And so, so we walk at the last minute from... Uh, from Capitol Hill toward the White House. And uh, we're, we were just expecting another march, but on the way, we walked right past the U.S. Capitol Police barracks. And uh, uh, and there, some of, some of the Capitol Police were putting on their... This was about 11.30 in the morning. They were putting on their body armor and uh, and uh, getting ready for, for the events of the day. And I and I gave the thumbs up to one of them because he was carrying an old fashioned billy club with a handle on the side, and uh, and he he laughed and waved and then we kept on going. But I I make that point because that was 11:30 in the morning. Those guys weren't mobilized for another four hours after all the events that happened at the Capitol. So something weird was there, and so. So we went to uh, almost to the White House when the march began, and we joined the marchers down Constitution Avenue. And it was not an angry, incited group of, of people bent on taking over the Capitol building. It was a 
it was a happy group, an excited group uh, of frustrated Americans who wanted to make their voice heard before Congress about uh, about what they saw as large-scale electoral fraud that affected the outcome of the vote. And uh, but in, 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 and there were tens and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands among us at the time. And in the process of that, though, having been around protests for a long time and knowing how they work and, and having been trained by the left long ago, I did notice groups... You were trained... Uh, Mike, I want to make that clear. You said you were... You personally, I remember reading... Uh, even in high school, were trained by the left. Your past is different than your present, and you were trained right. by the left on how to infiltrate and how to cause trouble, right? Right, yeah. We were, you know, dumb high school kid, idealistic, uh, gets caught up in things by a teacher that you admire, and uh, and you're doing something exciting, and they say, hey, you want to do an anti-nuclear thing and, and, and protest against the big guy? We, we were all really excited. So, yeah, we got trained in, uh, in how to break into a nuclear power plant construction site for the purpose of defacing, <laughs> defacing it and spraying, you know, slogans on the, on the uh, reactor containment dome. So, and in the process, how do you do when you're confronted with police and, and uh, how, do you, how do you provoke incidents from the media and that sort of thing? So I'm always looking for these kinds of people uh, who are, who's, who's trying to exploit a crowd, who's trying to exploit well-meaning or unwitting or foolish people. And, uh, and then how does crowd psychology work and how easy it is to manipulate a crowd? If, you, if you've been to any big sports event or, or a concert, uh, there will be excitement at some part of it, and, and certain people are going to get rowdy. Others are going to be egging them on, and then uh, curious people are going to look at what's going on, and then somebody's going to say, hey, come on, let's, let's, let's go do it. And it's against your better judgment, but you go ahead and do it anyway. You didn't go there to cause trouble, but you just get caught up in the whole excitement of it, and, and you become a part of the crowd. You sort of give up your own individual judgment for a little bit, and that's what okay. I saw at the Capitol. All right. So to describe you, I mean, to describe your first, like, again, we're, Mike is telling this from the perspective of someone who was there watching it unfold. This was before news, any kind of reports, names, nothing. So what did you see as things developed? How did, how did it look, and who did you spot? Well, during the march, I mean, you had a remarkably uh, happy and excited group. For a lot of these people, it was their first time in Washington, D.C. And they, it was a clear shot that the organizers of the protest had, had gotten, the pro-Trump people had gotten a permit to march. They closed, the, the city closed off Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and the Capitol and Constitution Avenue between the White House and the Capitol. Two big, very broad avenues that lead to Capitol Hill. And so, and there was a police presence there, but when, when we got to Capitol Hill, and we were about three blocks or so behind the very initial group of protesters, so we couldn't see what was going on in the very front. And nobody was really thinking much about it, but here you got a joint session of Congress taking place. So both the House and the Senate are meeting in the House chamber with the Vice President of the United States also there. So you've got the whole presidential line of succession, from the Vice President to the Speaker of the House to the President pro tempore in the Senate, all in one room. And normally for these events, there's very, very, very tight security. Well, when we got to Capitol Hill, there was no security. So I thought it was kind of remarkable that there was nothing, but 
you know, the Capitol Police do a good job, so I didn't give it a whole lot more thought. We marched all the way up to the west front of the Capitol to the inaugural stand where Joe Biden was going to be sworn in. And uh, and then people you know, gathered and gathered and gathered, but they concentrated in a very tight group because because of the hundreds of thousands coming in, they couldn't tell who was in the front. They just kept moving forward. Well, there were people uh, in the group who were stationed there to encourage people to pack in as tightly as possible up against the, the, that side of the Capitol building, even though there was no exit. So more and more people coming in. But you had elderly people, you had overweight people, you had children. A lot of them couldn't stand after a long time, or they were just tired, or they were they were uh, getting getting overwhelmed by the crowd, and they were trying to leave. And these organizers would not let them leave, and they'd yell at them and insult them, and say, "Everybody stay in while they're still waving more people and to concentrate." Mike, everybody. didn't you say that they uh, these uh, they were on bullhorns yelling at people too to stay? Come on, don't leave. Yeah, both bullhorns, and they were standing up, and they just had very strong voices. So you had, you had both, but they were organized in pairs. So it wasn't just random people doing the yelling. And then, of course, you had two guys with Confederate battle flags up in the very front. And I've known from, you know, years of watching these protests, those are usually agent provocateurs to make conservatives look bad in the eyes of the public. And uh, those are the flags that get all the attention. But there were hundreds or thousands of flags. Two Confederate battle flags, of course, both of those are right up front, as well as one sign with a white supremacist slogan. And people were even calling the guy a provocateur or a troublemaker saying, get out of here. So it was clear that a few people were there to cause trouble, but it wasn't readily apparent to anybody in the crowd what was happening. Mike, one of the things I felt, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just want to say one of the things that really struck me is that you talked about how the mood of the crowd changed. I mean, you were right there in them, and you said they were festive, and they, you know, just, you know, all kinds of people from all over the country, as you already have described. But when they got up closer, they, the police up on the roof started behaving differently. And let me just tell you, a, a, a person sent me information yesterday that there was a woman in the crowd, and one of the first, I guess, one of the first whatever it is, flame, some kind of a, a hot thing that they shot off, hit her in the leg and actually tore off the bottom of her pants. And she's a grandmother. Uh, so describe that, Mike, and how that changed the attitude of the crowd. That, not that necessarily that one incident, but things like that. Right. I saw something similar. I saw a woman who got hit in the face with a tear gas canister and it, and it cut her face and she was bleeding because of that. Here's, here's what was happening. So we're, we're, we, there, people keep flowing into this tight area, and there's no exit. And, and, and then people are chanting various slogans um, and, and singing the national anthem or God Bless America. So it was not a destructive crowd, but there was trouble going on at the very front, about 40 to 60 feet away from where I was standing. But there's always a scuffle in an event like that, especially with people packing in as they were. And so we couldn't see what was happening, but over a while it became apparent that there, some people were, were having a tussle or a fight with police in the front. And, um, and, the, and the Capitol Police, the anti-riot unit, had assembled above us about, oh, between 10 and 20 feet above us on the platform. It's sort of set up like a stadium style inside there. 
for the seating for the VIPs to sit the following week. And it was right where Joe Biden was going to be sworn in as president. And there were so they were there with uh, with tear gas uh, uh, launchers and uh, and uh, paintball guns that fired pepper balls instead of paintballs and uh, and other devices. And they started firing into the crowd. And when you have when you have trouble in the at the front of the crowd, you do it at the front of the crowd, which we didn't know what was happening, but later we saw it happening uh, on video. So they were firing on the firing... people that you described as just otherwise happy, singing the national anthem. Uh, they started right. firing into that crowd. Right. And these are pro-police, pro-law and order people. Uh, there were people who were, were actual police officers off-duty, and they were firing into the crowd where there was no exit, with a lot of elderly people and children and frail people, and people kept pouring in, and there was no way out. And they were firing tear gas grenades, uh, a low-level potency, but nevertheless tear gas grenades, smoke grenades, and uh, and flash grenades into the crowd. And then people, the, the, the mood suddenly changed. It's like, what, what are you guys doing? We support you. People were, people were shocked, and uh, I was shocked. And why are they doing this? The, the Capitol Police seemed really undisciplined. Like they had no leadership and they had no, uh, no, or they were confused about their rules of engagement. And you could tell they were looking panicky standing up there on the, on the, uh, on the inaugural stand. And, uh, and, and just firing sort of willy nilly into the crowd. Like, what is going on? So people start to try to leave because of the tear gas. Some people were scared and had never been up against this before, or they simply wanted to get out as we did. I, I, I said to my wife, "Hey, we're going to. There's going to be a stampede. Let's uh, let's get out of here because somebody's going to fall. That you, you get crushed in the stampede, and there's no way anybody can pick you up to help you get up because of the onrush of people. No one Mike, knows what's happening in the front. Mike, yeah. hold that thought because the music is playing, and we have to take a break. Uh, but what I'd like to do, of course, is continue with your narrative, and then I want to pivot because so much has happened since then. And I would love your perspective on what you saw that day, what you've seen in other videos now, of what you think happened, uh, if you will, on the other side. My guest is Mike Waller. Again, he's the Senior Analyst for Strategy at the Center for Security Policy. Lots of experience with this kind of stuff, and his observations are important. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This week on Truth For Life, we'll wrap up a series titled The Missing Peace by revisiting the subject of happiness, then launch a new study in 1 Corinthians 13 that examines characteristics of Christian love in the local church. That's Monday through Friday on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. I'm Francine Perry. I am the mother of Laura Perry, who was a prodigal for nine years. And I would just like to tell you that prayer changes things. Yes, you grieve over the prodigal, but God will comfort you. The Holy Spirit will comfort you. Submit a prayer request for a prodigal at inhisimage.movie prayer. My heart's desire is that more churches would start a prodigal box because we all have someone. Inhisimage.movie slash prayer. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. 
When my wife and I first started having children, we discouraged our family members from speaking to them in baby talk. You know, the gaga goo goo stuff. The reason was simple. We wanted our children to speak English well. Baby talk would hinder that development. The same principle applies to spiritual development. If we want our children to be wise disciples of our Lord, we should ask ourselves how much of their time is spent investing in spiritual maturity. Protracted time in the company of spiritual baby talkers will inevitably cause harm. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Thomas Jefferson at the dawn of the Republic wrote that states can nullify unconstitutional laws or executive orders that come from Washington. His reason was simple. Washington works for us. We do not work for them. Since the federal government is the creation of the states, not the other way around, states are the master, not the servant. States are free, Jefferson said, to stack anything that comes out of Washington up against the Constitution and reject any edict or directive that contradicts it. Iowa may be about to do that. As of Monday in Iowa, there will be no more mask requirements, no more social distancing requirements, and no more limits on public gatherings, including churches. In other words, Iowa is about to become the land of the free and the home of the brave. Go Iowa! Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. There's a discernible pattern emerging in the Biden presidency. For example, Mr. Biden legitimated the World Health Organization by reversing Donald Trump's decision to withdraw from an entity clearly in the Chinese Communist Party's pocket. He also said federal employees can't describe COVID-19 as the China virus. And Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says there's an active conversation about requiring passengers to demonstrate they're not infected with that virus before undertaking domestic travel a rule already imposed in the PRC. What's next? Will we be importing surveillance state systems Beijing uses to monitor and enforce such restrictions, blessed by its puppets at the WHO? The question occurs, is this pattern symptomatic of a perilous Biden-China syndrome, meaning that we have a commander-in-chief who is deeply compromised by the communist Chinese and determined to appease the CCP and otherwise conform to its dictates? This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. Yeah, so, and we're going to do it peacefully, he said, and uh, there was another word, peacefully and patriotically, I think those are the two words he used. That was President Trump, you know, inciting a riot. Uh, That's what they're calling it in this sham trial, which will be unfolding today again on Capitol Hill. Uh, Mike Waller was there on January 6th. This is the focus of the impeachment charge against President Trump, that he incited a riot and an insurrection, and uh, that you and I and all of us who believe there was... Uh, that 
the election was stolen from President Trump. How dare we say such a thing that we are insurrectionists, uh, that we you know, are just like those people that broke into the Capitol and those people were Trump supporters uh, who beat police. By the way, I noticed in that video they played last night, uh, the House managers, they had people saying, I can't say that word, you know, blank the police. Uh, burn it down. <clears throat> I heard whose house, our house. Anybody remember that from yesterday's discussion about that? How that is an Antifa Black Lives Matter chant. Uh, who's who's you know what? Whose streets? Our streets. That's what they do. Uh, but it's all Trump supporters, of course, according to uh, the House managers and the Democrats, and I think some Republicans too. It was horrible. No good. Uh, Trump supporters, insurrectionists, uh, haters. Uh, you know, I could go on and on, but um, all right. So Mike Waller was there that day. Of course, Mike, again, as I've said, and I will repeat quickly, that he's uh, with Center for Security Policies, had vast experience with all kinds of revolutions and such around the globe. And so he was there observing, and he's in the middle of telling us before all of the news has come out and all the clips we've seen and this 13-minute uh, video from the House managers, Mike is telling us what he actually saw on that day. And in part, Mike, you're telling us that there were there was hardly a police presence. Presence. You also said in your article, which we will post, it's I saw provocateurs at the Capitol riot on January 6th. We will put that on our Facebook page, uh, hoping that you can actually access it if we post it. You said also, Mike, that there were hardly any bathrooms. I also wonder, did you just see, you know, at every Trump rally, there are always protesters. I've been to several. Did you see any protesters at that rally? Uh, I'm talking about... Them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, against Trump. Yeah. Yeah, which the is odd. We, we walked between, we walked about 15 blocks, roughly, and didn't see any anti-Trump people at all, any openly anti-Trump people. We did, uh, in retrospect, among certain provocateurs, but no counter-protesters. Yeah, one thing that you describe in your article is a lot of young people who looked very awkward in the crowd uh, looked glum and angry, and then were dressed with like Trump paraphernalia, but didn't fit in. And you also described right. some. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I want to. I'm trying to expedite it so we can, because I want to hear what you think about what all has developed. You also said you saw mili people dressed in military gear, uh, kind of uh, going up uh, on the wings, uh, moving past the crowd that were organized. Uh, uh, so. I want you to sort of sum it up, Mike, your conclude, your observations since so along, you know, your observations on that day as you look back on it, not without any of the new information yet. Well, yeah, yeah. so it was kind of like a March for Life rally where people come to Washington from around the country to gather down that same avenue to march to Capitol Hill uh, to the Supreme Court, which is on the other side of the U.S. Capitol building. It was that kind of mood where it's a solemn event, but it's a celebration of, of, of good in a fight against evil. So it's not a, it's not a, um, a, a joyous occasion, but it's still people are basically content and very happy and happy to be among one another supporting a good cause. So, so they're upset with the Supreme Court, let's say, in the case of uh, Roe v. Wade, but they're not about to sack the Supreme Court and, 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 and destroy it. They're just there to protest, and they're there together from, from everywhere. So you have your brethren all around you, and it's just an exciting occasion. Imagine, though, if you had troublemakers among that group who were organized to do something and exploit 
problem. So what we saw during the, the, the march from the Capitol, from the White House to the Capitol, was we saw small groups of you know, two or three, sometimes as many as five, um, younger men in uh, either a, a type of military camouflage uniform or subdued civilian clothing, gray and brown and all drab and so forth. And some of them had backpacks or helmets and GoPro cameras. Some had uh, uh, certain insignia that were similar to each other. And so they were there in these small groups. They were not having fun. They were running ahead of, uh, of the normal people who were processing from the White House to the Capitol. And they just didn't look, they looked out of place. And I'm thought at the time that these guys are up to no good, but really, you couldn't really tell. There were a lot of people wearing military surplus gear, just normal folks coming in. So that was different from these small organized cells of groups. Another group that was up in the front, and and, and we saw them um, gathered, and they also ran ahead at a much faster pace than the crowd so they could be up front. These were MAGA people, and they were really rowdy. Meaning they, they were... Um, uh, you know, they, they were up there to cause some kind of trouble or just be, be extra rowdy. And you see these normally at protests anyway. And so the, their organization didn't become apparent at the time until we finally got up to the Capitol and we saw they were the ones on the front lines who had been coordinated to fight with the police. Mm-hmm. And then a third group that we noticed were these younger people in MAGA gear, but they, they weren't happy. They weren't rowdy, they weren't excited, they were sullen, and their body language was such where they knew they didn't fit in, and they knew they were going to, you know, they didn't belong there. So you could tell they weren't, everybody was cordial, friendly, taking help, helping take pictures of one another before different landmarks and so forth on the way to the Capitol. These guys were not, and they, they sort of, their shoulders, and they had their elbows and their shoulders down. Many had their hands in their pockets. They all had, or most of them had MAGA hats on backwards, and we had heard that Antifa was going to be there uh, dressed that way so they could differentiate themselves from everybody else. And these were right. entire small groups. Mike, let me let me summarize just a little bit. You said that uh, the crowd is just coming in and people cannot move back, and it was elderly people, uh, babies, all kinds of people, and they could not get out of it. You and your wife had trouble getting out of it. And then there were police, Capitol Police, who were disorganized, and they started shooting at the crowd, not guns, but uh, other paintball things and devices. And we had some of those described by people who uh, shared with me what happened to them yesterday. And so the crowd began to say, we're we're your friends, what are you doing to us? And so they marched toward the Capitol. You guys went all around the the Capitol and observed things at various entrances. You also actually saw that a so-called shaman who's, of course, being presented as the evangelical Christian among them. That's why, that, from Christian perspective, that's what they're doing. He's like our example, Jake Angeli, the guy in the fur hat. Uh, but, uh, Mike, uh, much has developed, uh, and uh, I, I know you're all on top of it. I kind of am also. And I want to know what your perspective is. Now that you had that experience on that day and now that you watched all this video footage, what do you think happened and who do you think the actors, the bad actors, were in this? Somebody at some point in a, in a position of authority made the decision to have uh, inadequate to non-existent security. 
Whenever you have a joint session of Congress, you're going to have very, very tight security. There was no tight security that day on Capitol Hill. Later videos show that those rowdy MAGA people that, that, that we saw in groups had run up to the front lines and were shoving the police and shoving away barriers, and the police fled the scene. There was no backup that was brought in. We saw the day before the mayor of Washington, D.C., who's a real radical, publicly declined, publicly refused help from the Trump administration to bring in National Guard and federal forces to make sure that everything was orderly. She put it up on Twitter, copies of her letters saying she didn't want any National Guard or any federal authorities to help keep order. So somebody declined that help in the very beginning. When you, when you are preparing for hundreds of thousands of people or any large crowd, you're always going to have portable bathrooms. And the D.C. government is great about this, except this day. I counted six portable bathrooms in a, in a uh, two-and-a-half-mile stretch up Pennsylvania Avenue and then returning down Constitution Avenue. Uh, six portable bathrooms for hundreds of thousands of people. You go to the Capitol right now. I live in what we call the red zone outside the fence. So it's the green zone that's inside this barbed wire fence uh, perimeter. And they have, you know, at any given spot, they have they have many, many different you know, portable bathrooms. I raise this as a point because when, when you have huge numbers of people who cannot go to the bathroom in a many hour long event, you're going to, there'll be trouble among them in the crowd. There was no trouble like this at this protest, but it's almost as if somebody in the city of Washington, D.C. said, we're going to make life as hard as possible for this crowd and, and, and uh, to the point where people are going to feel like they, they're going to get out of control. Yeah. Mike, and, and let me ask we, you, yeah. sorry, I'm trying to, we only have three minutes left, and it's just, that's, Horrible, because I, I want to talk to you so oh, much Oh, yeah, longer, you got me all wound up recounting some quick, Sandy. Yeah, <laughs> some quick questions. When you watched video from inside, I, from my observation, I thought I saw Antifa tactics breaking windows. They were using shields. I've never seen Trump supporters do things like that. You're obs- what do you think was happening there? This was organized. Because if you look at where they broke in, first of all, you know the U.S. Capitol. They're a big steel and bronze and heavy wooden doors, two or three inches thick. If you simply close those doors, no one's getting in. Yet those doors were open. So this is a zero-cost security measure that the Capitol Police didn't do. And somebody at the top told them not to. Otherwise, it's a normal police precaution to shut the doors. But so what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Someone... That's right. It's a big open question. My only question is, why did that happen? Why did the Capitol Police, you see it on video, allow large numbers of people with backpacks enter the U.S. Capitol during a joint session of Congress without even checking their backpacks? It's crazy. It makes no sense. So the people you saw breaking through the glass, and it was flimsy glass. It just had that thin security film on it to prevent it from shattering. If Congress had just spent $620 million on a new subterranean visitor center for security, but they wouldn't spend a little bit of money to fortify the windows on the first floor of the Capitol building. It was just sloppy planning there. But, yeah, you don't have Trump supporters suddenly decide to grab uh, police riot shields. How did I get these riot shields? Right? Yes, really. How did they get those? smashing through them. <laughs> exactly. So how well, do you do this? And then when did you, you do see... break in... 
the first floor of the Capitol is all the basements of the Capitol. It's called the crypt level, and it's all heavy limestone blocks uh, from from when the, holding up the whole Capitol building with lots of small passageways and narrow stairways. You have to know your way around. You just don't decide I'm going to break into Nancy Pelosi's office and automatically find it. You have to search for it. So somebody had planned this whole operation out in advance to bring these people inside the Capitol. All right. So, and then the fact that you could attack physically attack the doors of the House of Representatives chamber during a joint session of Congress, and you can get up that far, is it, simply insane. So, so sad to say, but but it was the duty of a police officer to use lethal force to stop a break-in of the House chamber and putting lawmakers and the vice president's lives at risk. You know, I'm amazed that there wasn't more of that, yeah. more, more lethal force. Well, well in, the, in the aftermath of that, we know that the chief of the Capitol Police has resigned. I think we'll probably never know. They have revealed that how many times they begged for a backup, and it was ignored, and even the days before, that how they, as you said earlier, they ignored and refused National Guard help. Uh, how they did not guard the Capitol on that day. That's the point we certainly got from you, Mike. And so it makes uh, one wonder if this wasn't just an incredibly huge setup. And I, I, I don't know if you agree, but I think it was. Are you willing to declare that? we got 15 seconds. There was a, it's being investigated now that there was an inside job to this whole thing. But it's not like the chief of the Capitol Police. The, the, the buck doesn't stop with him. The buck stops with the Speaker of the House, and the Senate Majority Leader and the Senate Minority Leader who are in charge of the sergeants at arms who are in charge of the police. All right, Mike Waller, we're going to put your article on our Facebook page, and maybe we we should come back and revisit this. But listen, thanks for sharing today. I appreciate it so much. Sandy Rios, In the Morning, AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast 